So, church, got something unusual today. Whenever I talk on sex or whenever I talk on money, either one of those topics, uh, the room gets real still, uh, people aren't breathing, and it's like deer in the headlights. So today I'm going to speak on both money and sex, and you have permission to breathe. So go ahead and breathe. Passage talks us, takes us into both of those. Now, church, the Bible says that if you are a Christian, that is, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, then the Bible says that you are a, 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 a totally new creature, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, new things have come. And the Bible elaborates what those new things are. Things like this, there are about 30 of them, 30 or so. Or so. It, the Bible says that all of your sins have been wiped away as far as the east is from the west. You have been declared right with God or righteous. You've been adopted into the family of God. You're now a citizen of heaven. The blood of Christ has cleansed you from all your sin. The spirit of the living God is inside you and many other things. You are a new creation. And that means that you, because you're a new person, you cannot live like you once lived because you're not the person you once were. You cannot live like maybe non-Christian neighbors around you because you are a new creation. You're different. And this morning, the Bible applies that to sex and money. Now, uh, you're going to see this is going to be relevant to all of us. But if I was in your shoes and I had a teenager, I'd make sure they heard this because they need to hear it. But so do we from, from God's Word. So if you'll stand with me, I will read the passage. It's Ephesians 5. If you're newer here, we work our way through books of the Bible. And we're in Ephesians 5. Verses 3 through 6. Here we go. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Church, this is God's holy word to us. Please be seated. He says in verse 3 that any kind of sexual immorality or sexual impurity or covetousness, which that, uh, the word we use for that is greed, or greed, or we could say or materialism or love of money, any of those things must be done away with. And the Bible is very emphatic. Now, we're going to look at first sexual sin, then we're going to look at... at um, materialism and greed. When it comes to sexual sin, he uses two different terms, which covers any kind of sexual sin. And with covetousness, he says, and any covetousness, all covetousness. So he's very emphatic. He says, it does not belong to the child of God. Um, last week, the, the charge at the beginning of Ephesians 5 was live in love, major on love, focus on love, no matter what else you focus on in your life, 
Make sure that you love people. And then immediately he applies that to the two biggest idols of our day or any other day, sex and money. And he contrasts what true love is with the perversion of love, which is really lust, sexual immorality, and greed. And that is the opposite of love. And so God is calling us as new creatures, as blood-bought children of the living God, to sexual purity. Now, uh, the Bible says, if we started with Genesis 2 and on, the Bible has this perspective about sex, that sex is God's good gift to His people for every married couple. It is completely good in itself. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, once put it this way. He said, the old Christian teachers said that if man had never fallen, sexual pleasure, instead of being less than it is now, would actually have been greater. He said, I know some muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity thought that sex or the body were bad in themselves, but they were wrong. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God Himself once took on a human body, that some kind of body is going to be given to us even in heaven. He says, Christianity has glorified marriage more than any other religion, and nearly all the greatest love poetry of the world has been produced by Christians. If anyone says that sex in itself is bad, Christianity contradicts him at once. The Bible teaching is clear and strong. Sex is a good gift from God. In fact, in the Old Testament, there is an entire book uh, devoted to love, sex, and romance, the book of Song of Songs. But other places, like Genesis 2, it's completely clear. Now, if sex in itself is good, it is also something that is powerful. It is powerful emotionally. It is powerful spiritually, the Bible says. And it is also powerful physically. Because think about physically. If a man and woman have sex together, there's the possibility of, a, of a, an immortal being coming into existence. That is, a, a, a human who will live forever and ever and ever. Now, if that is not powerful, I don't know what it is. It is powerful physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so God uh, gives us warning, uh, holy good in His place, but, but don't misuse God's gift. Think about fire in the winter, if you can't imagine such a thing. Think about it. you've got a nice toasty fireplace. You, maybe you live up north something. You're, you're cold. You get a fireplace going in that, in that, in that uh, uh, fireplace, and it's warm. It's toasty. It's completely good. But if that fire springs out onto the carpet and the couch and the furniture, it can be very damaging and cause a lot of havoc. Friends, that is a great picture of sex. In its place, as God gave it and created it, it is completely good. And if you grew up thinking that sex was somehow dirty, you have uh, believed the lie of the enemy who is trying to distort the goodness of God. God is wholly good. And it is His gift for every married couple to express love, to express trust, to express oneness, to express commitment, but it needs the security of that loving, committed relationship of marriage. God's heart is to protect us from sin. Lee Strobel says that God knows the turmoil that sex outside the, the security of marriage can bring. 
that God understands the emotional devastation when sexual intimacy is followed by abandonment, that God knows the loneliness and heartache when adultery or other sexual sin rips marriages apart, that God knows the guilt and shame that people feel deep down when they are involved with premarital sex or pornography, that God knows the heartache and fear of the young unmarried woman who gets pregnant and her boyfriend takes off. God knows those things, and He wants to protect us from uh, the misuse of His very good and powerful gift. And He says, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Now, our culture that we live in is completely blind to the real purpose, meaning, beauty, and glory of sex. Completely blind. I mean, think about any television show or or movie just about that involves sexuality. If a, if a man and a woman go on a date together and they're attracted to one another, then of course they're going to have sex. If a man and a woman begin to fall in love together and head towards a marriage one day, of course they're going to have sex. And it's weird if you don't. Friends, that is the message that your child grows up with a lifetime of NBC, Fox, and ABC. And for heaven's sake, they need to know that the Creator in the Word of God gives you a much different picture. That sex is, first of all, too good and precious and powerful to be cheapened with casual use like that. Adultery, um, premarital sex, homosexual sin, uh, lust, uh, a pornography, any and every form of sexual immorality. Interesting that even secular studies show that when a couple lives together before marriage, divorce rate is twice as high. Now, just process that. Secular studies are repeatedly showing us that. Maybe we need to obey what God says. You know, we've got, we're Christians. We've got insider information. We've got the, the instruction book of the Creator right here, and we need to obey it. If you are living in sin, sexual sin, or any other kind of sin, then you are essentially thumbing your nose at your Creator God. However you sanitize it, you are defiant against a holy God who loves you. I think about the Christian couple who is headed toward marriage, and they sleep together like so many Christian couples do. Good night. It's a horror. And, um, and what they don't know is because God made sex so special and sacred that the, the, the man in that relationship, he knows down deep that's not right, and he's not treating that woman right, and so he goes into the marriage guilty and passive. She knows he's not treating her right, that it's not right, and she resents it subtly down deep, may never admit that to herself. She resents it, and she grow, goes into the marriage angry and perhaps dominant. And sex has torpedoed the whole marriage. By the way, if that is you, I would start over. Claim the grace of God. And start over. Maybe have a wedding renewal vows. And just, we need to start again fresh. Because the grace of God is bigger than our sin. If the young man on the date tells his date that if you really love me, you would have sex with me, he needs to hear her say, if you really love me, you would never ask me to do something that makes me think less of myself and less of you. It's not love. It's lust. It's not about selflessness. It is about selfishness. As God just contrasted it, in verses 1 and 2, live in love, but that means not living in sexual sin of all of its kinds. That's about selfishness and lust, and it hurts people. In the early church, uh, they got this. 
There was a, a writing from a, 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 a scholar in the early church by the name of Diognetes. He said this about Christians and sex. He said, we share our table with all, but we do not share our bed with all. And that was such a contrast to the pagan Roman civilization of the time who, li who lived in sexual promiscuity, but they were stingy with their money. And so they were known as being stingy with the table, promiscuous with the bed. He said, we're just the opposite. We're stingy in the bed just for marriage. We're generous with our money and our table. Generosity. Pornography would be included in this. And I know that pornography is not just a man's issue. It's a men and women's issue. But men, let me just say to you, God has created you to be a protector of women, not a predator of women. And that includes pornography in all of its forms. You see a woman that's not clothed enough, too skimpy clothing, whether or not that's in media or, or live, then remind yourself, I'm protector, not predator. And as you look away, pray for her. Oh, God, uh, show her that what she's looking for is you. Uh, men, that's our, our mindset. Protector, not predator. Uh, by the way, uh, sexual addiction is rampant right here in our culture, in our uh, cities and areas. And uh, if you are struggling with sexual addiction, we've got ministries to help you. They're kind of under the radar. We, we don't, uh, you know, blast them out there, but, but you can go to our website. The one for men is called the Nehemiah Project. The one for women is called the Hosea Project. And you can go and get information, and they are help, giving enormous help to people. Uh, don't shrink back from getting help if you need it. So every form of sexual immorality and impurity, it, it just doesn't fit it, uh, someone who has been a new creation in fact, the Bible calls you a saint. It doesn't call you a sinner, it calls you a saint. Now, we still sin, but Dennis and Joyce right there on the third row, um, they're saints. Uh, the, 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 the original term is holy ones, the same Greek word for holy, holy ones. God looks at Dennis and Joyce right there, uh, they're my holy ones. They're right with God. They're forgiven. They're blood-bought. They belong to heaven. Friends, that is who you are if you're in Christ, and that is who I am. We can't live like we once lived. We're not the people we once were. It's just not fitting. Okay, that's the sexual side. Let's go to a, uh, the other uh, sin uh, of materialism or greed, which is even a bigger problem in our society. You know, are these not the top two idols in our culture? Uh, certainly money has got to be at the top. Now, there was a couple in our church. They've been here about a year. They lived 20 years in Asia. China, Singapore, and Dubai, moved back here about a year ago, and he said, we were, over, over, we were floored with the amount of materialism in our culture. Just overwhelmed. And they'd come from Dubai. The Bible says in verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, greed, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, God's holy people. Can't, can't, it should be no trace of coveting greed. What is greed? Well, here's a challenge, friends, that, um, you know, if you have a problem with uh, sexual sin, you know it. Um, but no Christian thinks they've got a problem with greed. Maybe there's 1%. But do any of you have a problem with greed? Of course not. Well, okay, you're some honest folks over here. But most Christians 
would say, you know, I don't struggle with greed. That, those people who have a lot more money than me, they're the ones who struggle. And just about all Christians feel like, you know, we don't struggle. Now, if 99% of us don't struggle with greed, why does Jesus, time after time after time, more times than he talks about sex, warn us against greed if nobody struggles with it? Truth is, I struggle with greed. And probably you do. I mean, living in this culture where the incessant message is that you need that thing to be happy, you need more to be happy, I think greed is all about more. I think it is about how you see yourself, that the more money you've got, the better you feel about yourself. That's identity. Rather than getting your identity from Christ, getting your identity from money or wealth. I think, I think greed is about um, a sense of superiority to folks who have a lot less money than you. Or if you're poor, because poor people can be materialistic too. If you're poor, uh, feeling inferior because some people have a lot more money than you. It's getting your identity, your worth. It's putting your security in money and wealth. And friends, the Bible says if you've got a lot of money, it is a challenge. The affliction of affluence, it's a challenge. You're more likely to depend upon yourself and your money rather than upon God and His grace. Greedy is nothing to do with the amount. It's everything to do with the attitude and perspective on the amount. Whether or not you have a little bit or a whole lot. The matter is, do you see it as God's? Do you see it as, as, as you know, a fine in itself? It's a good thing. You can enjoy it. But it is not life. It is not going to make me happy. You go out and buy that thing that, that you've been looking at at the store or the car dealer or the new house or something. You go buy that thinking that's going to make you happy. And a few days later, what do you realize inside if you're honest with yourself? Okay, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. And that has been true of every single purchase you have ever made in your life. Because God did not make you as an image, image bearer of the living God to be satisfied with things. But only with He Himself and with His love. So it just doesn't work. Not about if you've got a lot of money or not, however much money you have, your perspective on it. And do you know what the acid test is in the Bible about materialism and greed? It is generosity. It is generosity. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Generosity is the drain plug that sucks greed out of your life. I would say this, the historic biblical standard of 10%. If that is not just a no-brainer in your life, then whoa, that ought to give you pause. If you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, and God doesn't at least get the first 10%, then whoa, red flag, greed problem here. Because uh, this is the, cat, the opposite <laughs> Uh, of, of greed, selfishness, which is so offensive to God. Friends, these sins are offensive to God because they are all about self and fear and not about loving others and grace. So the challenge, uh, generosity and not the greed and materialism. Now the next three verses will go a little quicker. But they're so strong. Verse 4, it says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. When it comes to sex, uh, not a place for vulgarity. Uh, he's moving from immorality to vulgarity here because it cheapens sex. I mean, just kind of coarse joking and filthy jokes, 
coarse talking, it cheapens God's powerful, sacred, holy gift of marriage. What there should be is thanksgiving. If you're a married couple, I hope you have an attitude of thanksgiving about sex because it's God's good gift. You ought to be thanking Him for it. Now, of course, this applies generally, but particularly in the context of sexual sin. No vulgarity, rather thankfulness and thanksgiving. And then the final two verses, 5 and 6. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And there ought to be a big collective gasp in the house. And then verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Do you think that sexual sin and materialism are offensive to our God who has given us so much, so much? He says that if, if this marks your life, then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Um. Let me tell you what that does not mean and what it does mean. Um, some of you with an overstrict conscience, I'm one of those. Any of you who struggle with OCD like I have, you're one of those. Uh, some of us, whether or not you have OCD, have an overstrict conscience, and, and you read a verse like that and you think, oh no, maybe I'm not saved. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and He's brought change in your life, you're saved. Others of you here, you don't take, it's not, your problem is not that you take sin too seriously. You don't take it seriously enough, and you minimize things like that. And you need to take it seriously. This is your God, your maker, who's talking. And he says that if this is your lifestyle, um, sexual sin or greed, uh, you better examine yourself because you may not be in the kingdom at all. Maybe you, you don't have a genuine relationship with the Savior. Maybe you have not realized that you are a, sin, sin, a, a sinful person before a holy God, and you need God in His sovereign mercy and grace to come in and save you from all your sin. Maybe that hadn't hit you right. And maybe what you've got is a little dose of churchianity, American cultural Christianity, and not the real thing. And if so, if that's going on with you. Now, I'm not talking about you, that you've struggled with this. If this refers to everybody who struggle with greed or sexual sin, nobody here is saved. Only Jesus has ever been saved. He didn't need saving. Uh, it's not talking about that, that you struggle, or that you've sinned, or that you've fallen in the past. This is what it is talking about. Is this your life, a persistent lifestyle of sexual sin, or a persistent lifestyle of greed and materialism so there's no generosity? Is that your lifestyle and there's no repentance? Then look out. You probably don't know the Lord at all. And church, I would plead with you, even now as I speak, breathe a prayer and say, Oh God, oh God, come and save me. Come and save me. And he will. And he will. Okay, strong warnings in the text. And, and, and I've clarified what it means and what it doesn't mean. Friends, if you have been involved with sexual sin in the past, claim the grace of God. Because... Here's the main thing. However great our sin is, the grace of our God is greater. And it is horribly arrogant to think my sin is bigger than the grace of God. That somehow i got to earn, be good enough, and flagellate myself with a lot of suffering. Be like David. Be like Paul. Murderers both who claimed and lived in the grace of God. And God loved their heart of trust and dependence 
in grace. Be like that. Be a champion of grace. Claim the grace of God. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. He's that kind of God. Friends, if right now you are living in overt sexual sin or greed, so there's no generosity in your life, then by all means repent of your sin before a holy God. Uh, Come back to Him. Depend upon God to change you. The, The risen Christ, we're going to sing this last song about the risen Christ, His power. Depend upon Him, not yourself. Don't believe the lie of Satan that you just got to keep on sinning because you're an addict and you can't help yourself. That is a lie. If you've got the living Jesus Christ inside you, you have all the power in the world, the universe, to be transformed, and He can transform you, both with, in terms of sexual sin and in greed. Okay. All right, church. This is God's strong message to us because He loves us. How are we going to respond? Let's do this. Let's bow our heads now, and let's each one privately just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what needs to change in me? Just humble ourselves before God. Go ahead. Just ask Him. Read a prayer if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Jesus, come in. Come in. If you're feeling the conviction of sin from the Spirit of God, get free. Get free. Confess it and receive the grace of God. Lord, I pray that we here at Wood's Edge would please you because you have poured out love and grace into our hearts abundantly. May we please you. Amen.